as we deal with the institutes, and this is what this is dealing with, this chapter 5, the knowledge of God shines forth in the creation. And we really got to part A of that last time, which was, I guess, three weeks ago. Um, and, and what we've done, Frida, I'll give you a really quick overview of it. We're doing a study of one of the great classics that have ever been written in Christian history, and it's called Calvin's or The Institutes of the Christian Religion by John Calvin. People totally misunderstand who John Calvin is, especially in our times. They have no clue, and he was a tremendous um, writer, uh, of course a preacher, expository, uh, that we owe a lot to because he had a lot to do with the Reformation. And the theology that we have today really helped uh, coming from him, but he borrowed from uh, Augustine in so much of his deep theology. And so in chapter one, chapter 1, it was dealing with the knowledge of God and that of ourselves. And he said the most important thing for people to to actually know is to know God and to know yourself. When you put those two into perspective, then that's when you really start to open up to see the truths of God. This is the sum of true wisdom, to know God, to know yourself. If you know yourself without God, you know you're absolutely desperate. You're in a terrible situation. But if you if you know God, then you start to see who you are in His Son and where He's placed us. So that was really the first one. We saw how they're interconnected, knowing God and knowing ourselves. That was our first chapter. Our second chapter is what it is to know God and to what purpose the knowledge of Him tends to go to. And um, with with the piety that He gives us, that's how we uh, go after Him. And, and we see that He's a holy God. We trust and we revere Him. Chapter 3 was the knowledge of God has been naturally implanted in the minds of men, in the minds of all people. Then there is a natural knowledge of God. And what we just talked about, all of creation, outer space, inner space, just everything that we're all involved with and we are in awe, we're in amazement. Unbelievers know that there is God. They can deny it, they can say they don't believe it, but believe me, they know that there's something outside themselves that's much, much bigger than themselves. They sense that there is deity. They know it. Romans 1 says that. And... Uh, Religion is no arbitrary kind of invention by man, but uh, we see that this, that's what God has done. He's implanted and into the minds of all. And so therefore, there is none without excuse. With, with, with an excuse. Uh, chapter 4 was this knowledge is either smothered or it's corrupted. Uh, the knowledge that God has given, and some of it's by ignorance, and then uh, much of it is by malice, just our own wicked minds um, truly have true knowledge of Him. So that brought us to chapter 5. And we just started on this last time, and 
of course, what you guys kind of shared with there just kind of kicks kicks it all off of where this heads. I'm probably not going to spend as much time on the rest of the thoughts of the book. We'll probably go through it uh, speedily compared to where I have been, but I just want us to understand having knowledge of God is what life is all about. This is eternal life that we may know Him. So why does the church gather together to talk about things like this? The, the highness of God and how great He is. And, uh, you know, I, that's the most important thing in, in our lives. So, divine wisdom is displayed for everybody to see. Everybody. There, the the proof the uh, proofs are what you could say would be innumerable. We cannot even begin to count them, and we can think of astronomy in our times, or we can think of medicine. As mentioned uh, earlier, there you know the the natural sciences, and they all help really. They what they do is uh, science really just comes alongside with the Bible. True science does not... The Bible doesn't um, go against what science is, does it? The Bible is not a science book, but it really declares what what science is, though, too. And, and of course, when you look at it, it all comes from God. Um, you can take the... Calvin said you can take the most illiterate peasant, and he was trying to put that in terms of take the person who doesn't know hardly anything, and sometimes he'll use the term, I don't know what would be in French, but it comes out to be like stupid in, in our language, uh, somebody who does not have any kind of understanding or they're ignorant, and still yet they, they have enough manifested to them. You can take the youngest child that can even speak, and they know about God. You know, that's, that's amazing what God has done. So there are abundant proofs of God's wisdom, and we were talking about the beauty, the, the symmetry, um, the excellence of this divine art that has been put for us. And it's abundant. It shows His wisdom. That uh, Psalm 19.4 says, Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the earth, or to the world. In them He has placed a tent for the sun, um, the splendor of the heavens. What are they? What are they preaching? The glory of God. Their utterances go to the end of the world. They're screaming the glory of God. That's what creation is. Nineteen four, where it says in Psalm nineteen four, and their utterances, speaking of the uh, the expanses, the heavens. They're telling the glory of God in verse one about the work of His hands, all of His works, His creativity, and He abundantly shows His wisdom in those. And Calvin says that God is like a teacher in a seminary of learning in this. Right? The, he uses creation a lot. He uses the word theater. We are placed in a theater. Boy, when you see those sunsets... With sun coming up and 
all the different things you were talking about. And it's, it's a grand, glorious theater that uh, no theaters could ever contain. Splendor. Um, the next part there would be, uh, man is the lost, loftiest proof of divine wisdom. You see it all in creation, but then when you have man, that is where the ultimate is, is, is shown. The wonders. Think of Acts 17. Where uh, Paul is in Athens. And Acts 17.27. Here it is. He's telling them in verse 26. He made from one man every nation of mankind. There's creation right there. Everybody came from, of course, Adam and Eve. From one man, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times, he appointed all that, and the boundaries of their habitation, where they would be put forth. That's amazing there in itself. Why? That they would seek God. Um, I'm in Acts 17. Acts 17. This is at, um, at Areopagus in Athens. And so Paul is speaking to Gentiles here, you know, the philosophers, and he says that they would seek God. Puts it all forth, you know, and says if perhaps they might grope for Him blindly or whatever and find Him, though He's not far from each one of us. It's not far because God just doesn't sit up in the heavens, but the presence of God is right here. And if one doesn't feel that, they could still look at what he has done and made. So he doesn't put himself out so far that mankind cannot have an idea that there is a God. Every man has evidence of God's heavenly grace. So what excuse can there be? What is man that thou art mindful of him? That's an amazing thing. Uh, Psalm 8. He uh, declares not only that the human race really is like a bright mirror of the Creator's works. And it's the grandest of His glory. Believer or unbeliever, just to make humans. And He puts them at the top of all. And um, so anyway, um, we cannot extinguish the name of God. His glory is always there. So what does man do? Well, he's not grateful. He doesn't give thanks. He's ignorant. Instead of bursting forth and praying... Now what you guys were doing were bursting forth and praise. You were giving glory to God with what you were all talking about. And you go, wow. Sometimes you're just in, in awe and, and you know exactly where this really comes from. You can't keep from it. Right? And yet, prideful man wants to keep that from being glorious to God. And they're inflated and swelled with pride about what they've done or what man has done or a vast variety of gifts and talents that they have. And they don't give anything to the liberality that God has given them to allow to be living here on earth, to eat His food, to drink His water, to move around in the body that He gave them, to breathe the air that He gave. 
And they will never even say thanks. So what they do is, they, what do they do? They suppress him. They keep suppressing him until they even start starting. They will start to believe their own lie that they keep telling themselves. If you tell yourselves a lie long enough and loud enough, you will believe it. Well, they also, uh, they want to use what is given, but they don't want to give them credit for it. Because if you give them credit for it, then you have to be responsible for it. That's grateful. Well, you have to be responsible <laughs> for it. Uh, yeah, and that would be grateful. And yeah, you have to be respectful of it instead of just using it for your selfish desires. Mm-hmm. That's what they don't like about it. It's about themselves. This is amazing. After saying that, read Psalm 145.9. Well, verse 8 is really great too. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great in loving kindness. Look at this. The Lord is good to all. And His mercies are over all His works. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and your godly ones shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power. To make known to the sons of men your mighty acts and the glory of the majesty of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Was there ever a time in your life that you didn't give thanks to God for the works that He did and you didn't bless Him and you didn't speak of the glory of His kingdom or talk about His power. and You didn't make known the, the to people about His acts and His majesty. Was there a time when, when you were like that? Continuously. Well, you know, occasionally that's still true. I hear myself complain and I think, what am I doing? Look at all that I have. What am I talking about? Fear. Yeah. Every time we fear, I we, just, we canceled in that. I'm, I'm reading in Ephesians and I'm thinking, who are those people that you're talking about? Because I don't see all that power and all that like Christ-like stuff and all that. How? I, I don't get it. It's just beyond me. I, just, I have no idea what God's looking at. And then He puts on display His great power and glory and everything, and we go, how small we really are, aren't we? Like the Louis Giglio, the heavens yeah. and everything that's out there, and then He shows the earth and then an individual on this earth. I mean, it doesn't even compare to the expanse of that. And our just little worries and anxieties and little things we deal with on a daily basis. And we just kind of forget about His great power. That's kind of what you're saying, right? It's like, you know, we go out like like uh, when we were down in Branson and, and talking about the dam up in Michigan. We go out and, oh, look at that awesome <laughs> dam. Why, look at, you know, and, the, and we don't even think about, look at the awesome water, the, the lake, that, look at what... Foolish man has done, and we call this a good thing. And we're all inspired by the dam, and we, you know, we just overlook what God has done. I'm just, I'm, I just, I honestly despair of myself 
sometimes. I just don't know what God sees. And I've been reading this in Ephesians, and I'm thinking, really? What are you looking at? <laughs> I don't think so. Would it be like this Psalm 8? When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, and here we go, verse 4, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you made him a little lower than God and you crown him with glory and majesty. I mean, wow. This is the Lord's glory and the dignity that He has given us. And yet we, you know, it's like, wow, you know, who are we? That splendor that's in here and majesty that's in the heavens. And then he talks about all this power and Christ-likeness and all this stuff, and I'm thinking, eh, I don't see it. <laughs> I just really don't see it. That's where the old faith thing comes in, doesn't it? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah. He is constantly displaying it. And you think about, yeah, he takes more thought on us than any part of the rest of all of creation. I mean, if you don't see it in nature, I think about all the things and the times and sites. Um, one of our trips out to California with my dad and him, and for some reason we stopped in there for longer than we thought. But if we hadn't, we might have been involved in a car accident. Like, or like Annie supposed to be doing an internship in the Pentagon and her her internship gets canceled in May and then in September 9-11 happens. Right. You know, she'd have been there. She wasn't there. The fact that she lost her favorite cross that her teacher made while she was on the top of the Twin Towers and it gets mailed to us with the postmark two days before 9-11 because they found it and returned it. I mean, just, there's no way you can't to me, God was in all of that. The way she met Micah. If she hadn't finished her undergrad in three years, and if he hadn't been on the five-year program because he, <laughs> he did a two-three two, program where he worked two years, I mean, went two years, worked for this company for a year, and they paid for his last two years, they'd have never met. Right. Things would only have to be a little bit different. Just right. a little bit different. If it weren't for the providence of God. Providence of God. Isn't that remarkable? It's more amazing than a, than a straight miracle. But he's yeah. doing that constantly all the yeah. time. For everybody. How many times yeah. I drive home and it's everybody. like, how here? <laughs> Thank uh, you, Lord. See, this is the things that the Christian sees that the non-Christian can't understand. They can see you know, the beautiful sunsets and admire it, but to see the works of God now that are working inwardly, like those kind of things, people would say, well, that's just accident. Ah, there's no such thing as an accident. There truly are no coincidences. Uh, that's God, remarkable, this, isn't it? It is amazing. So this is his think, ongoing work. Right. And when you think that's what he's done for Annie and everybody else <laughs> all the time. Little details. All the time for everybody. How Every day. Constantly. But does he do it for everybody? Because I think of, of Edie and the things that are happening with her life. And it's like, why doesn't she wake up 
somebody's oh, trying yeah. to talk to her. Yeah, but he's yeah, that's God's providence. Yeah, but he's still giving her the breath Absolutely. and everything else to do, even though those that ignore, that's the greatness of God. Even though they don't know it, they don't get it, he still is providing. See, and I look back yeah. when I was out there doing my thing, being all about me, even as a even as a child, I can look back and see what God did. <laughs> it's amazing to me. So yeah, I think God does. You can it see it now when you had no clue then, right? Even the even the things that are going on in in the non-elect, God's in charge of that too. He keeps them from doing things that they should not right. do, and that does not work within His plan. When I was in Michigan too, my brother-in-law, I think I told you that they're not believers. Yeah. And um, we were talking just before I left, and he he had said something, and I was talking to him, and he, well, he'd asked me if um, I thought I was ever going to see anybody else, and I said, you know, I just, that's not something that I really thought about, because I really don't need that. And he was talking about his wife, which is had a stroke and he said that he had comfort knowing that he would see her again in heaven because he knows that her health is failing and that was big because they had said they were not believers and him to say he knows he's going to see her in heaven something's going on something's going on yes he's listening to somebody hmm. yep there's always things going on that we would uh probably not even have any clue what's going on. So, um, that's about, re- he reveals his lordship over all of all of creation. Um, there's a, how about his government and his judgment? You know, he arranges the course of his providence, as we say there, and, you know, all of his manifestations are happening, and, you know, he has the righteous ones that are his special objects of favor, uh, of grace. Although there's a common grace, there's a saving grace to his people, but yet there's a common grace to all people, believer or unbelievers. Um, but eventually, the wicked, the profane, they will be special objects of his severity, his wrath, it says in Romans. He often permits the guilty to go for a time without any kind of judgment at all. Matter of fact, they just keep shining right on through. And of course, David asked that question. See it quite frequently throughout the Old Testament. Why? Why do I have to suffer and go through all of these terrible things, and then the wicked, the evil, are prospering and everything goes well for them? Bill Crosby just found out about that today. Yes. Crimes 
and all they're doing is getting defrocked. Excuse me. And they will send them somewhere where they will... Why aren't they yeah. arrested and... Mm-hmm. Read The, of course, God has sovereign sway over all of the life of men. The, you know, this is getting further into His works, and so it comes down to we should contemplate Him. We put our thoughts on those things as we drew back from our memory all the different things that God manifest uh, manifest in His in His perfections. And the knowledge of God just impresses us more and more about who He is as we think on Him. We seek Him even more and more. We contemplate His works and uh, and He communicates to us in that way, doesn't He? We don't hear His voice, but He's speaking louder in some of the things that we never even, even thought of before. And His works are enumerated. Psalm 145 back near the end there. Verse 3, I like this. Great is the Lord and highly to be praised. And His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty. And on your wonderful works I will meditate. There we go. Men shall speak of the power of your awesome acts, and I will tell of your greatness. Not just three through six. I mean, that whole psalm is just blowing it out there with high, high praise. Don't you like to magnify Him more and more and learn how to praise Him? Well, that is high praise. Um, we we comprehend Him though to a degree, don't we? And when we do, we're overpowered by His greatness. And it says that, you know, how unsearchable is His greatness? Just when you, you know, you kind of hone in on some things and you go, this is nothing. How much more is there? I mean, how, you know, what words can I say? 
Augustine expressed it, I think as he kind of saw Psalm 144, since we are unable to comprehend Him and are as it were overpowered by His greatness, our proper course is to contemplate His work and so refresh ourselves with His goodness. So we contemplate it. We think on it. We were doing that as we we were contemplating together earlier. We contemplate it throughout the day. Sometimes we forget about that. That's when we start thinking about our own selves and the problems that we have. And we're not focusing on Him that uh, who can deal with this. But we should be refreshed constantly. We, we tend to walk away from where we need to be thinking, don't we? That goodness. Uh, then there uh, is part J, which is number 10 of this. The purpose of the knowledge of God. By the knowledge that He has given us and we have acquired, we are not only to be worshiping God. I mean, that's what it does, doesn't it? We, we read in Psalm 145 there, for instance. But you know what it does? <coughs> not only does it help us focus on Him in the here and now, but what it does, it makes us yearn for the future glory that is to come. So, you know, there's something much better. And we know it. And that's a good thing. You know, we're, uh, we, we are an earthly good, but we want to be heavenly minded. Some people say they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. Honestly, if you're heavenly minded, <laughs> you will be of an earthly good. Because you're thinking of this future life, and so all the manifestations that God gives of His mercy, the manifestations that He gives of His severity, you know, they've only begun. These are incomplete. When we see all the judgments that need to be done, they're not done yet. I mean, there is a judgment to come that will be in full. And so we'll see the righteous be brought to their rewards rather than all the afflictions that they have because of the ungodly today. The wicked seem to flourish and prosper and have ease and power. There will be a future life where their iniquity will be uh, rewarded by punishment. But righteousness will be the ones who trust in Him. Psalm 92. Oh, yeah, Psalm 92, 5 and 6. How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. The senseless man has no knowledge. Nor does a stupid man understand this. Isn't that true? What we have just talked about has been high, high, things of God. They're the deep things of God. But one who doesn't know Him, a senseless man, a stupid man, can't understand these things. They're spiritually appraised, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So the purpose of the knowledge of God, what it does, it stimulates us to worship Him, but also elevates our hope our hope expands even more. So, while His perfections 
are displayed, and we understand these are God's. So sometimes we need to descend into you know the reality we're at and realize that this is all manifesting His wisdom, manifesting His power, manifesting His glory. Puts on display His justice, His goodness, His mercy, His grace, the deep counsels of God. So uh, the creation and the, the truth of the Word. And so therefore, when we come to K, part K, it ends with no excuse. So they are without excuse. He has put Himself perfectly on display for people to know there is a powerful God. Anyway, I think that uh, the purpose of knowing God is to, what? To worship Him. What is the chief end of man? What is the chief purpose of God? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. As we are knowing God, and as we are enjoying Him, we're realizing that this life is just a preview of the show that is to come. We haven't seen anything yet. Anyway, that that is what uh, chapter 5 would be of that book. and We take it really what it is. It's just taking Scripture and that book that he wrote is really a systematic theology. He doesn't say systematic theology on it is, but what it does, and it starts with wisdom of God. If you don't have the knowledge of God, wisdom of God, what, where else can you start? Right? Just knowing that He's the Creator. And there are other sections in the book where it goes into the Redeemer then, of course, too. So what we might do is, is take a, a quick... Uh, journey through the rest of the book and you can say hey I kind of have an idea what the institutes of the Christian religion is it's very readable if you ever want to read it uh, you could just go on the internet read it for free if you like they're all over the place Um, a lot of really good books a lot of Puritan books are now available that I couldn't even get at the store back 20 years ago 15 years ago and now all of a sudden it's out there it's free you can get anything you want you know that that we're not even in print anymore, and that's rather incredible. God would uh, put that out. It, it it helps us, as then we go into the Word of God. It helps us give more insights. That's and that's what we were doing here. We were giving insights to each other. I think that's that's pretty helpful when we hear this is what you see on your corner. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, and it helps us get a little bit more understanding on it. Why is it that we have understanding? God gave it to us. Why is it that other people don't have that kind of understanding? Because He hasn't given it to them. They don't want it. I guess you could really put it in that way, of the human way. They don't want it. It's the most absolute, best wisdom and knowledge and splendid display that anybody could ever see. And yet they say, Ah, I don't care about that. Hey, the Grand Canyon is is just like a hundred yards away. Ah, I don't care about that. Yellowstone. Yeah. Just all 
lots of stuff at Yellowstone. Jackson Hole would go through the Great Tetons. And, you know, but I, I had to go back to Genesis 1. And before the flood, they didn't exist. It was just all... Mm. <laughs> right. And, and I'm sort of going to miss the mountains because if you look at the new heavens and the new earth, there's not going to be those great mountains. And, you're not going to miss them. You're not going to miss it at all. You're not going to miss anything here. For we see in a mirror dimly. And it's just like trying to remember when you were uh, just a little baby, you know, an infant. You can't remember those things, but, you know, now it's like when we are glorified, we won't care at all what we experienced here when we get to experience on the other side. But I know what you're saying there too. I think Johnny Erickson Tata said, yeah, when she gets to heaven, I think she wants to go out uh, and, uh, uh, what is it? Is it ski or surf? You know, on, on the ocean. and Those kind of things. Who knows what God's got for us, you know. And, oh, you want a mountain? Here, there is a mountain. Uh, like in Jerusalem, for instance, yeah. it's going to be elevated and lifted up, and that building is going to be a square mile. <laughs> a square know, it's, mile. It's just like all the traveling that we did, because Dad and Mom traveled a lot as kids, because Mom had relatives all over the U.S. And so in August or December, Dad would, when there was a lot of farming stuff going on, that's when we traveled. And I just, I just think of how Dad loved the mountains and every scenic view. He'd pull over, and we'd have to get out. My mom was scared to death of heights. She would be cowering in the truck. And then we get to the ocean, and Dad wouldn't want to have anything to do with it. And Mom and all those kids would be out there enjoying the ocean. He was, he was not that fond of water. And those waves and the beach didn't, didn't bother him not having anything to do with that. So it was just. All, the well, all these things, see. all these things here. This is just a little gift to well, make us worthwhile. We have our little candy now. Yeah, we could, you know, what yeah. you get yeah. when you grow up, you go, "Oh, candy's, you know, good." But you remember all those sweet little things as a kid, you know. And you might still like some of those. It's not quite the same as it used to be, right? I don't. Well, it could be. I don't quite understand how like, that mountain. That, Everyone will see it. And all the world will see it. It's like we're round now. The gold and it happens. happens. Yeah, it's because the world is round. Flat <laughs> world, but we yeah. all see it. Technology. But yeah, I, I just, you know, I mean, that'll be quite the moment. Sure will quite be. The moment. What I'm anxious to 